Well, that's why we're here, isn't it? Amen. We want to know more about our Lord. I must tell you, this evening I was, uh, as they mentioned, down at the university, and I saw Tom. I thought I saw Tom. And I looked over here, and I thought I saw Tom again. And I looked over here and thought I saw Tom again. I had no idea he had a twin brother. And they are twins, I can assure you. I, my eyes, I thought, man, my eyes are failing me. But now I know. I'm sure glad I'm sane tonight, having <laughs> realized that. Well, I've been trying to, when you speak three different times in one day, you've got to get your mind twisted around as to where you're going to go each time and try to get your thought processes moving in that direction. It's a little difficult when you're trying to think three different areas of ministry, and I'm going to do my best tonight, and I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, to open to the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and I will tell you the first 40 verses of this chapter is very intriguing, intriguing, intriguing so much because as we come to the last verse, 40th verse, he said, be you ready therefore also for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. Now, all of this that he's talking about converges on this matter of being ready. For in such an hour as you think not, Jesus is going to come. But I want to, I'm going to read for my text, if you'd like to stand with me. I'd like to read beginning with verse 31 in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Luke 12, verse 31. And Jesus, of course, is doing the speaking here. And he says to them, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that you have, give alms, provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, again, we ask that you would uh, clear our minds of everything but what you want us to know, to think, to say, to do. We do need your reviving spirit tonight that you would come and minister to us one more time. We must have you, for what needs to be done, man alone cannot accomplish. But in Christ, all things are possible. And so we stand firmly on your word tonight and ask that you would breathe upon it one more time and we shall receive life from it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if I'm going to preach from those few verses, I have to set some things in context. Because you see, in the first part of this chapter, Jesus gives to us a tremendous discourse. He talks about the fact that every, the hairs of our head are numbered. He tells those disciples not to worry about when they're brought before the magistrates. The Holy Spirit will teach them what to say when that hour comes. And he went through a whole litany of truth. And all the time he was speaking, there was a man there. And that man was not listening to what he said. Now that sort of encouraged me if that happened to Jesus, I don't mind it happening to me. 
But that man was not listening to a thing that Jesus said. When Jesus got through speaking, this man looked at him and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus looked at him and said, Man, who made me a judge or divider or an arbiter over you? And after that, he began to give another parable. It's the parable you will recognize as the foolish farmer. And I study the word, I have to divide scripture to keep it all in context. And in this parable, the foolish farmer, just four or five verses, he speaks of a fearful covetousness. For he says, uh, this farmer was wanting more and more, never had enough. Even when his barns were filled, he said, I'll just tear those barns down and I'll build bigger barns. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take thine ease. But that fearful covetous not brought on a false conception. For Jesus says a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And it led this man ultimately to a fool's confidence. For when he said, I'll just say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease. God spoke to him and said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now, having given that, he then moves over and he speaks not about the foolish farmer, but he speaks to the fearless flock. The foolish farmer sought from riches from the ground, but the fearless flock is admonished to put their confidences in the riches of God. Not that which comes from the ground, but that which comes from God. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind because we live in a very restless world. Men and women are running pell-mell, doing all kind of things, trying to find some kind of satisfaction. I'm reminded over the first chapter of John, I believe it is, Jesus was on his way, and two of John the Baptist's disciples were following him. And Jesus noticed them following him and finally turned around and said, uh, What seek ye? And uh, the world were like those two men following Jesus, they were on a conquest for something, but they didn't know what. In fact, I'm afraid most of them are seeking some kind of pleasure or power or possession or position, but there are some who are just seeking food and raiment and what we would call creaturely comforts. But he wanted those two disciples to reveal to him what they were seeking for in order that he may give them direction. Finally, he gave them direction, and you noticed it in the reading, which I had in my scripture this evening, Seek ye the kingdom of God. Now, if you read this in Matthew, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, here he is instructing us how to seek and to find the kingdom. The kingdom of God is an interesting study because I wonder what people think about when they think about the kingdom of God. Well, let me just see if I can break it down just briefly for you this evening because uh, the first fact concerning the kingdom of God is how do you enter into the kingdom? In fact, there are three words I'll give you to hang on to. There is the word entering into the kingdom, enter, expecting the kingdom, and the experience of the kingdom. Now, you know and I know John, it was talking, Jesus in John's gospel was talking to Nicodemus one day, and he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
He said, you must be born of the water and spirit if you're ever to enter into the kingdom of God. So we entered the kingdom by way of the birth of the spirit. You're born into the kingdom. In fact, in order to be spiritually naturalized into the spiritual kingdom of God, you must be converted. You must be born of the spirit. You must repent. You must exercise your faith. You must offer yourself to Jesus as his own. Consequently, there will be a time of confession and uh, complete renunciation from all sin. That's why Jesus, not only John the Baptist, not only Jesus, but also Peter on the day of Pentecost, the first message all of them preached was, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once we do that, righteousness of attitude and repentance becomes righteousness of relationship and forgiveness. We become his child, we're adopted into his family, we're forgiven of all the past sins, we have what we call a blood-bought pardon, we are naturalized now into a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. I said to you, there's another word I want you to concentrate on, it's not only entering into the kingdom, once you get into the kingdom, we have a right to expect the kingdom to come. What's he talking about when we talk about expecting the kingdom you know uh, we enter it in regeneration that's another word we use all the time regenerate come alive again revive if you please born of the spirit of god but the second we the second one in the expectancy of the kingdom you expect it either through the rapture or the resurrection one of these days we're going out of this world and one of these days we're going to be with him but if we're ever going to be with him, there comes a moment in time that we're either going to be raptured or we're going to, following our death, resurrect. In fact, those who are raptured won't prevent or precede those who have gone on before because they will be caught up together to meet him in the air. So we have not only a visible kingdom, we will have an invisible kingdom. In fact, uh, one is present now that we enter into, one is yet future that we have not yet entered into that we are pressing toward. But really between these two, experiencing the kingdom is important. We entered it when we were born again, we have a right to expect the kingdom of God to come, but I have to tell you, he says there is an experience that will be stowed upon his fearless flock that he wants to give to his children. I think this is an area that very few people even want to talk about. It's unique to any other teaching. He is talking about the bestowment of the kingdom he places on the little flock of whom he, Jesus, is the chief shepherd. There is something that he does for his family. It's unique to his family. It's not for the world. Is for his children who are heirs of the kingdom. James speaks of those who are born of God as heirs to the kingdom. Now, it's one thing to be an heir. It's another thing to receive an inheritance. Now, one of these days, we'll receive the full orb of our inheritance. Peter tells us about that. Inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. That is an inheritance we're going to receive one day. But it's interesting because Paul says we get to receive an earnest of inheritance while we're in this world. 
In other words, if I can state it this way, he wants to set us up in business here while we're waiting to go over there. He doesn't expect us to live on baled hay down here while we're waiting on angel food up there. He wants to give us a foretaste of heaven to come. And in that experience, it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which he calls an earnest of inheritance. Paul speaks that we, his children, get to receive and experience the earnest of inheritance. Now, those of you who are a little older, you know what an earnest is. It is in the years ago when they used to sell property, for example, they would go out into the land and they would take a little bag and they would take the dirt off of the ground, put it in the bag and give it to the one who is purchasing the ground. That in the bag is what is called an earnest. What it is is a sample of what they just purchased and the certainty that when they come back, it'll be theirs. He wants to give you and me an, an earnest of inheritance. It's a sample of heaven below and also a certainty of heaven above. I wouldn't want to live a day without this earnest of inheritance. Now, the foundational principle of the kingdom is righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the righteousness of relationship and forgiveness must move on in order of redemption to complete righteousness of spirit and sanctification of heart and life. It is the bestowment that the Father wants to give to his little flock or his little children. Fear not, little flock. Remember now while I'm talking to you, he's already exposed the foolish farmer that put all of his goods in this world. He said, no, no, no. This isn't the end. You are here to prepare for the inevitable, which is yet to come. It's the Father's good pleasure, he said, to give you the kingdom. His righteousness is not something we achieve by growth. It's rather something we receive through faith. It's the child of God's inheritance of heart cleansing. Everything within you that is hostile to God and insubordinate to the law of God is purged from your heart and you are wholly his and you find his commandments are not grievous. It is a joy to be faithful to him. Now, in order for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. <laughs> I think it was earlier this week, Tom. I'm not so sure. Maybe Sunday evening. I don't know. But I, I love that song we sang, I'm a child of the king. I told him I, have a, I do have blue blood running through my veins. I'm a part of the aristocracy of the New Jerusalem. May not have a whole lot here, but I've got a whole lot where I'm going. And I'm enjoying what I've got here in the meantime. But having entered into the kingdom, we have a king. His name is Jesus. In order for there to be a rule of conduct, and we have that, there must be a ruler. That's what Jesus does. And so having entered into the kingdom, there comes a time when the little, little flock has to climb down off of the throne of their own self-government and yield everything, as Tom mentioned tonight to him, you own nothing. He purchased you with a supreme price on the cross of Calvary. You are not your own. You've been purchased with a price, and you yield everything over to him. All of your possessions, all of your talents, all of your affections, all of your allegiances, everything you yield to him and give him undisputed reign in your life. Dr. Paul Reese made a statement I've never gotten over. 
And he had a he was a great mind of Christendom and many years now been in heaven, but he had a way of making a statement that would just so succinctly, but it had such broad implications. He said, we don't mind receiving the grace of God over our sins, but we don't want the government of God over ourselves. He will not, he will not deal with our sins unless he has ourselves. And by the way, that's why we come to him. That's why we have revival. He longs to make you different from the world. Verse 30, he says, For all these things, speaking of that previous that I did not read, do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather, he said, Seek ye the kingdom of God. When I said to you, the world's running pell-mell out here trying to find some kind of solace, some kind of satisfaction, some kind of, some kind of comfort, and they can't find it in the world. You can't get enough money to find satisfaction. You can't have a nice enough home to find satisfaction. I've never did understand why people build such huge homes. Great day, I don't live in one room at a time. I don't know why they have 25, 30 rooms. Couldn't keep them clean if I had them. <clears throat> All I know, he, he said, I want you to be different from the world. Remember Israel when she insulted God? Do you remember they wanted a king and they said to God, we want a king so we'll be like the rest of the nations? And God, of course, acquiesced to their desire, even though he did not want them to have that because it was his plan that they wouldn't be like the other nations. So the question today, do we want to be like others? Or do we want to be governed by the selfish laws of things? Or are we willing to make him king to rule over all of us? If so, he must have first loyalty. Now, when I say that, and sometimes I think we misunderstand, it does not mean that all other loyalties are cast aside. In fact, it enriches other loyalties, like husband and wife relationship, children and parents relationship. You don't discard those loyalties, but everything falls submissive to his loyalty. He is, holds the preeminence. He is always the king. And consequently, when we do that, he will allay all of our fears. Remember, he's talking to this flock that he says, don't be fearful, fear not. He allays the fears of our foes. We have them. In fact, Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. With God indwelling in you, you always are a majority. He's greater than anything you'll ever face. He not only delivers us from the fears of foes, he delivers us from the fear of food or the lack thereof. That's why he was talking about God knows what you have need of. And consequently, take no thought of your life, he says, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on, for life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. He allays the fear of failure. We're humans. We fail. We make mistakes. We err in judgment. But we have a high priest that sits at the right hand of the Father that intercedes on our behalf. And when we petition him, he takes our needs to the Father and he corrects them and brings them back to our hearts in great joy and great forgiveness. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, when we have the God of things, and we do when we have Jesus, when we have the God of things, then we have the guarantee. 
of all things, because all things, he said, are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now I want to show you in verse 33 through 34, it's an interesting uh, two verses, and I want, to, I want to show you what he is saying, at least in part. He says, sell that you have and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you read this and not consider this to be the treasures of heaven, then it means something of a future prospect. You'll miss the meaning of this passage. We provide bags which are wax not old. He's not speaking of heavenly riches here. He's only speaking of it in the context as it's deposited in the hearts of man. Presently, these hearts will not wax old. Thieves can't steal. Moths will not corrupt. Rust will not destroy. It cannot be in heaven because there's not going to be any such thing like that in heaven. He's talking about something that enters into you that the world cannot touch, that thieves cannot steal, that rust cannot destroy, that moths cannot corrupt. It is the heavenly life. These treasures in the heart cannot be destroyed by earthly powers because they are eternal possessions that God grants to his little flock. I do think oftentimes we live far below our privileges because we have not simply because we ask not. And I think Jesus must be grieved at times because of our slowness to respond. Now, in the open of this, I want you to go back now just for a few moments to the first part of this chapter where it speaks of the foolish farmer. He's drawing a contrast between the foolish farmer and the fearless flock and the foolish farmer, remember, the brothers looked at him and said, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. Now, I, I want to just take off a side light here just for a moment. I, I remember in a meeting I was in many years ago, and I recall two men sitting side by side, and they had open windows where they could look out. They were not stained glass or painted at all. And I remember from the very beginning of that meeting, not only when I got up, but when they sang, they prayed, I just noticed one man constantly stared out the window. The other man sat very attentive to all that was taking place here. After the service, the sermon, everything was finalized, we opened the altar, and it was interesting because these two men, one of them that was so intent and attentive of everything that was going on, responded to an altar to seek God, to find God precious to his own heart. The other man just stood there and kept looking out the window, and finally, after the service was finally over, they walked out the door, and I decided, the one man has talked to me for a while up at the front, but I decided I want to know where that other guy got to. And so I searched for him. He wasn't in the house, church house. And I wondered, what was he thinking? And I walked outside in the parking lot. He was standing out there, and I walked up to him just to shake his hand. And he, he said, well, preacher, looked up the sky and said, if it doesn't rain, I'm going to vaccinate my hogs tomorrow. 
I thought, man, you have hogs in your heart. <laughs> he didn't hear a thing that was going on. And I got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people come to church all the time that don't hear a thing. We have not because we ask not. I must say to you, this man that said to Jesus, speak to my brother, he divided his inheritance with me, he was worried more about a few dollars than he was about his eternal life. And that's when Jesus said, oh, fellas, listen to me. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the things that uh, he possesses. And consequently, that man's heart was not in the word. It was in the world. And oftentimes I discover that one's heart will always be where the treasure is. And the heart of the farmer's treasure was earthly. But the flock's treasure is eternal. Consequently, the farmer's interest was in grain and corn and grass. He wanted new barns, but he needed the new birth. And I can assure you our interest of the little flock is not in grain and grass, but in God and grace. We must have it tonight. Have you uh, submitted solely to the reign and rule of Christ and received ye the resources of the kingdom? Does he rule supremely? Or is he an adjunct in your life? If it's convenient, you know. Yeah, I'll go to revival if it's convenient. I got time. Yeah, I know. You know, the farmers got to plow the field and got to do this, that. I, I know. I want to tell you something. One of these days, we're going to say goodbye to it all. One of these days, somebody else will drive our automobile. Someone else will live in our homes. Someone else. And I worry that we are selling our souls so cheaply. When Jesus was warning about the foolish farmer, and then he took those little flock and said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Psalms gives a very wakening passage. Our God shall come and not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call the heavens from above unto the earth, and he may judge the people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. His silence one day will be broken, and God will provide comfort for those who have fully yielded their lives to him. And he says to us in Isaiah, Come, my people, enter thou into the chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be past. That's why he's saying in that 40th verse, he's coming. And he said, you must be ready. And he said, I have resources to ready you. But if you reject me, he says, judgment will fall. Now, we don't talk judgment much anymore. I don't know whether we think we've graduated from it. I don't know whether we think well, we can just live the way we want to live and everything will turn out all right in the end. 
sort of a fatalistic concept, you know, like the movies, well, always winds out okay. It's not a movie. Life is a reality. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And one of these days I cannot reap what I have not sown. But I will reap all that I've sown. We are heirs to the final inheritance, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, eternal in the heavens. I uh, across the years have <clears throat> wondered what it must be like to those who have gone on home and enjoying the glories of heaven. I can tell you if I have even a glimpse of understanding of what it's going to be, I will not miss it. You must not miss what God has prepared for his children. But I would also remind you there is another alternative, one that we don't like to talk about, but nevertheless just as real. I never read Luke 16 where it says the rich man lifted his eyes in torments. The rich man died. The poor man died, Lazarus, and he was carried Abraham's bosom by the angels. The rich man died and was just buried. And it's interesting that God knew the name Lazarus, but he just called the rich man the rich man. The rich man. And I can also tell you, while he was lying in state already in all the eulogies that were being spoken over him, and all the beautiful flowery words that everybody was speaking over him, they had no idea that he was in hell burning. So much so, he's called over to Father Abraham. Oh, Father Abraham, talk to Lazarus. Let him dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in these flames. Oh, no. Well, then, go back and tell my five brothers not to come here. Isn't it interesting? All of a sudden, he got concerned about his brothers. Wasn't concerned about them all the time he lived in this world, but he all of a sudden was now. And God, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, what he's saying, they have the churches, they have the preachers, they have the Sunday school teachers, they have everything they need. If they won't hear them, they won't hear the one come from the dead. And I wonder sometimes if we have just sort of discarded this truth from the Bible as though it's no longer valid. I want to tell you, Jesus indeed spoke more about that place than he even did heaven. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But I can tell you it was like the rich man. If you read it carefully, there's nothing bad said about the rich man. Even this farmer, he was an industrious man. <laughs> but he was foolish. He lived his life wholly for himself. Get all you can. In fact, I have many years, he said, and God said, oh, how foolish. Many years this night. What a contrast. Thy soul will be required of thee. I want to be a part of the fearless flock and Jesus wants himself to reign he knows what you have need of and he'll care for you if you seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about those things. Those things that the world puts such a premium on. 80 years, I think it was, 82 years, Vanderbilt, the wealthy Vanderbilt, come to the end of his life sitting on the edge of a bed, looking at his hands, tears dropping on his pillow. And they said, what's wrong? He says, 80-some years, millions have passed through these hands, and I have nothing that is eternal. Vanderbilt. You know it. I'm not telling you anything that's new. But I can tell you one thing. We better get our house in order. Get our hearts filled with him. Not ourselves, our Savior. And be ready for the moment when he says, I'm coming. He's coming. I've seen too many slip out of this world like you have. I found some passed away. I don't like that. I didn't know where some of them were. I don't know yet. My wife and I had an experience just recently. Young lady, and we were standing by the bedside of her father. That father went to church every Sunday. And he had a stroke, never come out of it. And as we sat there, she looked at us and said, I don't know where he's going. I don't know that he's ever made any profession of faith. Can I tell you something? You have no right, I have no right to bring children in this world. And if I leave this world that they would have to look in the casket in my face and say, I wonder if dad made it. I have no right to keep them guessing. And I would also say that would be true of children. You know, God, death is no respecter of age. Man, I've had funerals of little babies. I've had funerals of teenagers. I've had funerals of boys and girls. I can tell you, death has a way of reaching in and grabbing us, and we're seeing it by the thousands of opioid stuff that's going on, and 115 people, I think, a day is dying over the stuff. That's just one avenue of death. But I want to ask you, if anything, slipped, if anything happened to you, could your children say, it's okay. I'll see them on, on the other side. You owe that to them. hope you understand my heart more than my head today. But I can tell you, we can be ready. And we can let the world know it. And by the way, we need to witness to it once in a while. We need to testify to it. Tell, tell them about Jesus. The Bible said, talk to them in the morning. Talk to them in the evening. Talk to them at noon. Talk to them. Talk to them. Talk. And he's talking about Jesus. I wonder tonight if you could stand with me. I just felt you need to know that in spite of the foolish farmer, God has his fearless flock. And we are his fearless flock. <laughs> and we don't have to fear the foes. We don't have to fear our failures. We don't have to fear for food. He provides all that is sufficient for you and me. But if there's any question, any uh, 
hesitancy in your heart as to whether it's okay. You can have the divine assurance as well as your soul. We were in the meeting the night, the day, and one of them spoke on this spiritual assurance. You can know. You must know. It is well with your soul. Tom, our Father, as we shared with your children this plea, he was telling them, I'm enough for you. I'm sufficient for you. Don't fear for anything. Just stay close to my heart. And I can assure you, if you seek me first and keep me preeminent and set your priorities in order, when that moment comes, it'll be well with your soul. We don't want to be on a quest for something that God isn't pleased with. We don't want to be seeking for pleasure merely in possessions and things and coveting everything in the world. We want God. And you have told us you're available. And you plead with us to seek you first. And as we sing this evening this song, if there's something within you that says, I'm, I'm not certain, this is one thing you can afford the question. Taxes are coming. You'll make sure they're paid. Driver's license expire. You'll make sure. That's not near as important as the salvation of your soul. And as we sing this song, we're not going to pull on you. You already know if you want to be a part of the little flock, I want you to come. Mind God. Blessed assurance, Jesus. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for the full assurance of faith. Thank you for the fact that we can know you whom to know is life eternal. That as we walk with you, you remind us day by day that you will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. We stand on your word tonight. Those who have opened their heart and welcomed you in and you the good king with all of your resources and your pleasure to give to your flock your children help us to go with a sense that we're going to keep you ever preeminent ever first place don't let us 
get in this dog fight that the world's in, trying to get all we can, trying to seek the things of the world, so cheap, but help us ever to keep our eyes set on the Holy One. And one day we will see you when this faith turns to sight. We will see you face to face. Go with us now, we pray, and keep us in the center of your will. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you.